Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Okay, so let's uh, look at God's Word together. We've been going through the book of Acts. Greg's been particularly going through the book of Act, the Acts of the Apostles uh, for the last few weeks. And last time uh, he preached here, which I think was last week, although I'm not quite sure, <laughs> it was Acts chapter 15. So I thought we'd look at Acts chapter 16 today because um, it's a great chapter about the Apostle Paul and it's uh, just a wonderful story, actually, of some of Paul's adventures. I think we can call them that, although they weren't always fun. Um, and uh, some of the experiences that he went through. And I've got a few things to say about that. And, and really what I wanted just to focus on this morning is how Paul is a, a wonderful example of a disciple who made disciples. All right, so he was a disciple, and he made disciples. And of course, that was, that, and that is, our commission from Jesus. That's what we call the Great Commission, isn't it? Um, when Jesus said to his disciples, now therefore go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And so that's really what we're focusing on. But let's look at this story, because um, as I say, it's a great story. Um, in Acts 16. We, we'll actually pick it up in, in the previous chapter, in chapter 15. I don't think I can hold my Bible in this microphone, so I'm just going to read it off the screen. So we can go to Acts 15. Remember when, um, if you were here, Greg was talking about how they had to have this, um, this decision from the elders in Jerusalem, because they got a bit of a problem about some of the Jewish Christians wanted everybody to be circumcised and wanted everybody to obey the law of Moses. And so they had to come up with a judgment uh, for the churches as to how they should handle this. And they came up with a judgment. They, came, they, they wrote a letter, effectively, or a statement, which was then distributed to all the churches. And Paul went up to Antioch um, with this letter, and he, he went up with, with Barnabas and a few others, and that's where we're picking up the story. So Paul is in Antioch. And if you don't know where Antioch is, can we have the map up, please? Uh, actually, we've got a map. Here we are, hopefully. That's a map of Paul's journey that he's about to embark upon. And Antioch, you can see on the right hand of the screen, is about halfway up the picture. It's right at the top of Israel. It's actually in Syria. So it's up in the corner of the Mediterranean there. And that's where we're starting today, in Antioch. Uh, I haven't got a, any pictures from Antioch. I'm not sure if it's even a, a city today. Does anyone know if it's still a city? No, I'm not sure about that. But anyway, it definitely was then. So, um, okay, if we go to Acts 15. It says, After some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let's return and visit the brethren in every city which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. You see, Paul had already been on one journey. It's quite an eventful journey. He went by ship. He got shipwrecked. And it was, a, you know, it was a very traumatic time in many ways. But as a result of that journey, he established quite a number of churches in what they called Asia, which we would call uh, Turkey, really. So in places like Ephesus, 
um, which you can visit now um, today, which is a big tourist site actually. Uh, and um, Colossi and places like that. But um, at this point, he said, let's go back and see how they are. And that was, that was his part of his mission was to establish churches, but not just to walk away and then say, well, I hope they get all right. No, he wanted to go back and check them out. And it says, Barnabas wanted to take John called Mark with them also, but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone without them to the work. So John Mark apparently had given up on uh, the mission for some reason. We don't know the details of that, but he'd let Paul down, really. So Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along. Um, and that, that's when the disagreement broke out between Paul and Barnabas, which we read of in the next verse. So there was a sharp disagreement. They separated. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. And Paul said, OK, I'll take Silas. And we haven't heard much about Silas up until this point, but Silas was another of these um, elders who'd been with him in the part of the team to bring this edict from Jerusalem. And so he said, I'm going to take Silas um, and being committed by the, the brethren, sorry, we just go back one, uh, to the grace of the Lord, yep, he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And it's just interesting, isn't it, that Paul had a sharp disagreement. Uh, we tend to think when we fall out with people that it's, we've, we've done something terribly sinful, but it may not necessarily be the case. You know, we're going to have disagreements. And uh, sometimes it's just a practical thing. Paul didn't want to take someone who was unreliable in his, in his view, whereas Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement, uh, probably thought, well, I want to give John Mark another chance. And it's partly their personalities, partly, I think, the leading of God. And sometimes we've just got to work our way through relational issues in the church. And there's no church where the, that doesn't have relational issues. Right? So there's people that you don't get on with very well. Uh, it's important, but it's not terminal. Okay, so we've got instructions how to deal with disagreements. Jesus gave us instructions. I'm not going into those this morning. But it's part of life. But Paul's mission was bigger than his relationship with, with any individual person. He was going to strengthen the churches, and that's what he set out to do. So if we could just go back to the map. Uh, it says that they went through Syria, which is where Antioch is, and then into Cilicia. You can see it as we come of those little curved arrows that turn left, and he's on his way there, and he goes to Derby and Lystra and Iconium. Let's go back to the text and, and uh, read what happened. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So Paul was on his way to Asia, but by some means the Holy Spirit said, no, don't want you to go to Asia. Um, and again, it says after they came to Mysia, they were still trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. So the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus are the same thing. And the Holy Spirit is saying to Paul, I don't want you to go to Asia. And that was where he was headed. So that must have been a bit perplexing for Paul. So if we go back to the map, we can see 
where he's headed. So it sort of goes across the top of what they called Asia, we call Turkey, and towards Mysia. See where Mysia is there, right in the middle? Right at the top of the screen. And so he's missing out all these places where he planted churches. And I imagine Paul was thinking, but I want to go and strengthen the churches. And the Holy Spirit's saying, no, don't go to Asia. And so he just kept going west, kept traveling west, not, I mean, he must have been thinking, I don't know where I'm going, I haven't been here before, but that's okay, because the gospel's got to, got to the whole world, so let's just keep going west. And uh, life sometimes is like that, do you find? <laughs> you think, I thought I knew where I was going. And then, but God's saying, don't go there, don't go there, okay, I'll just keep going where I'm going then. And uh, we have to go with the flow. And, you know, We've talked about this before, but God's guidance isn't always as specific and detailed and uh, particular for us as we would like. And that's not unusual. We mustn't be thrown by that. We mustn't think, oh, God's left me. He doesn't, he's, he's, he's not, he doesn't care about me anymore. No, it's not like that. It's, it's, this is part of the way God leads us is he expects us to find the way through. We find in this chapter and the chapters around quite a few times, uh, the writer, who we think is Luke, uh, he quite often says, uh, and it seemed good to them. Sometimes it says, it seemed good to them and the Holy Spirit. That's, that's as clear as it gets sometimes. It just well, it seems right. And that's okay. So let's read on. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. Now Troas is right at the end of the western part of this, this uh, region. Um, and it's uh, called Alexandra, Alexandria Troas. It was a Roman um, city. If we go back to the map, it's actually, uh, there it is, it's right on the coast, on the west of Mysia. Uh, it's not there now, it's just a ruin. I think we've got a picture of Troas. If we, if you can find it. There we are. That's Troas today. So it's a ruined city, um, uh, which uh, you can visit. There's a very attractive bridge there. It looks like it's about to fall down. But hopefully it won't. Um, but that's where Paul ended up. And there's no record of a church being planted there. But he's just, he's just there at the end, and then it's sea after that. And I imagine Paul's thinking, well, what are we going to do now? can't go into Asia, so not allowed to go south. Maybe we just have to get in the sea. You know, and he, Paul had had some experience of sea. If you remember, he'd uh, been shipwrecked, uh, a, bit of a bit of a disaster quite a few times. But God uses those disasters for his good. And then the next thing that happens is he has a dream. All right, so he gets some clarity. A vision appeared to Paul in the night a man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Uh, if we look at the map again, you see Macedonia is, is uh, that's same as today, north of Greece, and it is, it's across the Aegean Sea. Um, and that's where they went. So if we go back to the story, when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. There's an interesting uh, change in this verse, which um, you can easily miss. 
Because up until now, the story's been, Luke's been telling the story in the third person. He's been talking about Paul, he's been talking about Silas, talking about Barnabas, and they did this and they did that. And all of a sudden, it says, and we sought to go into Macedonia. And it's quite evident that Luke, who's writing the story, has come on board at this point in the story. And he's, he's decided, I'm going to go with them now. So uh, presumably um, Luke was, uh, he was picked up along the way somewhere, and, um, as Timothy was actually, and uh, he's joined the party. So we sought to go into, sorry, can we just go back to that one a moment? We sought to go into Macedonia concluding, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is another example of how you basically have to say, well, I think God must be saying we've got to preach the gospel to the Macedonians. It's not any more clear than that. Okay. And the next one. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran straight a straight course to Samothrace and on the day following to Neapolis. Yeah. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in this city for many days. Can we just see where this city is on the map? Thank you, Ashley. So can you see Philippi? Right at the top there, Macedonia. And it was a very important Roman city. Let me show you a picture of this very important Roman city today. That's Philippi today. It's a complete ruin. Which just shows, doesn't it? You know, important cities of men are not destined necessarily to last forever. It was a Roman city, so it was under Roman rule, Roman authority, and it's obviously quite a big city. You can tell even from there. Okay. So what happened in Philippi? Quite a lot, actually. So um, one of the first things that happened is Paul said, let's go and find a place of prayer. So there probably weren't any synagogues there, because it was a Roman city and not particularly a Jewish settlement. So he's out there to preach gospel. How do you start? And it's the same thing as we're facing here in this district. How do we reach the people who live around here? How do we do that? We need to be asking God. And Paul just said, well, I expect, I expect there's a place of prayer outside the city. And he went to find it. And uh, God will lead us to reach these people. You know, um, we, I don't know if you noticed as you came in, there's a big yellow banner on the fence, um, a bit like the flyer we've got, saying, welcome, we meet here on Sundays. And uh, so I put that up every week. And recently... Um, we, we, through term time, they said, yeah, you can put the banner up on Fridays and take it down on Sundays. We don't want it there when school's open. So when it came to the school holidays, I, I said to the guy who, rep, who kind of deals with things here, you know, can we, uh, can we leave the banner up all, all through the holiday? He said, yeah, I think so. Unless someone tells, tells me you can't. And then the next day, he texted me back saying, I've been told you've got to take it down. So, but actually, I'm quite glad it means every Friday or Saturday I come up here and I put that banner on the fence and it's like uh, it's like putting the light on it's 
like putting the light. It's, it's quite bright, isn't it? It's like it's like a, a declaration. Okay, we're still here, guys. The banner's up. We're meeting on Sunday, and I quite enjoy it. And I'd, I, I would quite like somebody to come up to me and say, you know, well, what's all this about? And then, you know, it says, always be ready to give an account for the hope that is in you. And I would like to respond to that. But, um, you know, the doggers and the joggers walk past, and uh, most of them don't take any notice. But a lot of people will see that, and it's, one of, it's just a witness, isn't it? And I'm glad I have to do it every week now, um, just as always. And uh, when, when I'm away, we're going away in September for a week or two, uh, someone else is going to have to do that. So I'm be, I'll be looking for volunteers. And it's a, it's a great job, actually, <laughs> because it's, uh, it's like a public statement. We're still here. We're meeting with God in this place. But going back to Paul, he's gone to find a place of prayer. Um, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. We sat down began speaking to the women who had assembled. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshipper of God, was listening and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. So she wasn't a Christian, but she was a worshipper of God. She, there was something going on in her. She was ready. She was open. And, go, and so Paul was able to speak the gospel to her. And then she actually responds. I don't know how soon. Fairly quickly, I think she responds. It says her whole household responded. And became, they, they were all baptized. And so she was an influential person. And God will use influential people to build his church and establish churches. And that's certainly what happened there. Um, but then as, as uh, things went on, they would regularly, I think, go to this place of prayer. And it says on one occasion that there was a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. All right, so she, she could foretell the future, apparently. She could, do, she could speak you know, supernatural things because she had a demon that told her things. And she brought a lot of money to her owners. She was a slave. And uh, that, was, that was her life. But... It says, after a while, she, she kept following Paul and calling out, these men are servants of the Most High God. And uh, I think it's amusing. Paul, Paul got um, irritated with her. He got fed up with her. So uh, he actually cast the demon out, not because, apparently not because he was, he was concerned for her primarily. He just got fed up with her following and shouting at him. So he cast the demon out. And she was delivered of this, this thing straight away. But her owners were not happy because they lost their source of income from this girl. And so uh, Paul and uh, Silas get arrested. The crowd rose up together against them and the chief magistrates tore their robes off and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. That doesn't sound very pleasant. Uh, and the next verse... When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And we'll read on. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay, so they're in prison, backs bleeding, because, you know, these weren't sort of namby-pamby rods. These were real rods. This was a severe beating. The Romans knew how to beat people, uh, no doubt about that. 
But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. That's what we'd do, wouldn't it? Isn't it? If, you were, if you'd been beaten and put in prison, what, what else would you do? You'd be singing hymns. No? <laughs> praying, yes. Paul later wrote to the Philippian church, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. And he could say that. The church that got established there would know the story. And they would know this isn't, this isn't some man just speaking out the top of his head. He'd been through this. Rejoice in the Lord always. You know, the whole letter to the Philippians is about joy. The joy of the Lord. And maybe Paul learned something of that when he was in prison. It wasn't the first time he'd been in prison. So, and it wasn't the first time there, there was a miracle of release. But let's just read this one uh, uh, on this occasion. It says, Suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened. Everyone's chains were unfastened. And the jailer awoke and saw that the prison, uh, prison doors were open. And so there's a miracle... God intervenes as an earthquake. Now, earthquakes don't necessarily mean your chains fall off, but it was a miracle. So that's what happened. And it wasn't just Paul and Silas whose chains fell off. All the chains fell off. And just to understand the context here, this is a Roman prison. When Paul was in prison before, I think it was in Jerusalem, uh, an angel came and took him out. And when, the, uh, when Herod found out that they got out of prison, he ordered all the guards to be executed. And, uh, and so on this occasion, I, I wonder if Paul's thinking, look, I don't want to be responsible for all these guards dying again. <laughs> so he didn't just get up and run out. He starts talking to the jailer. So the jailer's thinking, I better kill myself because I don't want to be killed by my bosses. That's a you know, he might be crucified or burnt alive or something. So the jailer is trying to deal with the situation that my life's over. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kill myself. He's about to kill himself. And Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Don't, do not harm yourself. We're all here. So no one was running out of the prison. They were freed, but they weren't running away. And the result of that was... The jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear he fell down before Paul and Silas and he said, after, uh, after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And so, um, they're the words that you know, any of us would, would love people to say to us as we're going you know, in the shops, Excuse me, um, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> People don't ask that question very often these days, but we need to pray that they do. There are seeking people out there who, who really do want the answer to that question. And we have the answer. Um, and it's great when it happens and people bring the question to us. Paul had the answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and again, it's him and his household. So, households seem to be, uh, you know, a, a, have more significance than I think they do today. So, if the, if the head of the household became a Christian, the whole household became Christians. And he's, he probably had, 
enough authority and Lydia had enough authority to say, come on guys, we all need to do this. We're going to get baptised. We're going to believe in Jesus because he's died for our sins and he saved us. Wonderful outcome. They spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in in his house. Okay. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds and immediately he was baptised, he and all his household. Okay. So... This, that's, we won't go any further in the story. I think that's, that's enough. But just, just to draw out one or two things, what does this, what does this mean for us? So we said at, at the beginning that um, Paul is a, an example of uh, a disciple-making disciple. The thing about discipleship is it, it's, a, it's, it's a continuous chain. We're not just individuals before God and that's it. Uh, the point about decides like a relay race. You know, in a relay race, you have a baton, and someone runs, and the next person takes the baton and runs, and then hands the baton to someone else. And that's that's a little bit like discipleship. So when Jesus said, "Go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything," one of the things you have to obey as a disciple is to make more disciples. So the thing, really, it's very simple. Discipleship simply means two things. It means you have to be a disciple, first of all, and that has to be the first thing. And then, if you, once, once you are a disciple, then you need to make more disciples. And Paul is an example of both. So Paul is a wonderful example of, of somebody who was a disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means you're, you, it means you're submitted to Jesus. And when Paul was um, converted on the road to Damascus, he saw this blinding light and Jesus appeared to him. He said, uh, Paul, why are you, or it was Saul then, why are you persecuting me? And Jesus gave Paul specific instructions. He said, um, I want you to be a light to the Gentiles. I want you to take my word, my gospel to the Gentiles. Because Paul wasn't there when the other disciples received the Great Commission. You know, the 12 disciples received from Jesus that those words, go therefore and make disciples. Paul wasn't there. He was persecuting, well, he hadn't, probably hadn't started persecuting, but he was going to go on to persecute the Christians uh, after that. And so he had a separate um, commission from the Lord. And so, but he took it completely on board. You know, it would have been easy for him to say, well, you know, I've had, a, I've had this special vision. I know better than anyone else what's right and wrong. But he didn't do that. You know, he went to Jerusalem, as we heard last week. He went to Jerusalem and submitted to the elders in Jerusalem and said, you know, let's agree together how we handle this situation. So he was a man under authority, under Jesus' authority, under the, the elders' authority. He knew what it was to submit to the Holy Spirit. We've read about that this morning. Um, if we had time, we look back at the elders' judgment was based on the word of God. So it's about submitting to God's word as well. And so being a disciple is about coming under God's authority and all of those that he has put in place for us to submit to. But then it, it also means that we make disciples. And uh, in this story, there's uh, at least five five people mentioned by name who became disciples because of Paul. So first of all, there's Silas, who uh, Paul 
said, I want to take Silas on this mission. Um, and, you know, discipleship is actually about life. It's not just about teaching in a, you know, in a seminary or in a uh, forum like this. It's about taking people in life with us and saying, this is how you live the Christian life. And so he took Silas, and then it says when he got to um, Lystra, he found Timothy, who he'd probably met before. It says Paul wanted to take Timothy with him. And uh, so he circumcised him, which makes you think, you know, who wants to join Paul's team? <laughs> I don't know if he actually took the knife himself or whether um, it, it just means that he said, come on, Paul, uh, come on, Timothy, you've got to be circumcised because of the Jews. But whatever it was, Timothy was definitely a man under authority. So there was Silas, there was Timothy, and then when they got to Philippi, there was Lydia, who we've read about. She, beca she became a disciple. Um, then there was Luke. I think Luke was earlier, actually. But uh, So Luke came on board. Remember we read that the, the story changes because Luke starts to include himself in the story. I think Luke became a disciple. And then finally is this jailer. We don't have his name, but... Uh, the Philippian jailer became a disciple and all their households. So this is Paul's record. He's making disciples as he's going. And that's what this is all about. So he's not only a disciple himself, but he's making disciples. And uh, he wrote to Timothy some time later in one of his letters in 2 Timothy 2, uh, verse 2. He says, the things... You, which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's discipleship. But one of the things I noticed about this is that Paul chose, um, he chose quality people to make disciples out of. And I think there's something for us to learn in that. So the, you know, he wanted, he says he wanted Timothy because he knew he was well spoken of by all sorts of people. And uh, when he met Lydia, she, remember she was already a worshipper of God. She was a good woman. She'd already got, some, already got some character qualities that you could work with. And sometimes I think, uh, we think we've, ju we've just got to work with everybody the same. But no, I think we need to pick people to work with who God is already working in. And Jesus did that with his 12 uh, even Judas, who had a special purpose to fulfill. Jesus didn't say, well, I'm just going to spread myself evenly across everyone. He, he chose the twelve with God's help and worked with them. And uh, if we're going to make disciples, it's okay. Sometimes I think when we're, we're looking for people that we're going to work with, it's okay to look for people who already there's something there going on. Sometimes they will come to us and say, look, will you teach me more? Sometimes we go to them, as Paul did with, with uh, some of those, and say, I want you to come and be part of my team. And that's, that's how it works. And uh, we can all do this, but you can't make disciples until you've become a disciple yourself. So we have to settle this issue that Jesus is Lord. Not just in theory as a Christian, but in every detail of our lives. Lord, I submit to you. Lord, I want you to keep me 
on the straight and narrow. I want you to keep me going in the right direction. And then we then that makes us suitable to make disciples ourselves. And that's how the church is built and that's how the church is established and that's how it's going to work here with us too. Sometimes you know it's just as we meet here on Sundays you think well it's, it's 20 of us. It's just a, we're such a small company but we are I strongly believe we are a light to this community and just by being here every Sunday we are shining that light and God will use that. But let's look to take on board those who we can teach. There's one final verse I want to close with this. It's Hebrews chapter 13. Um, It says this, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. I'm so grateful to the men who I learned from when I was a young Christian 40 years ago. I remember Alan Vincent, who was my first Christian pastor and the teaching that he brought to the church week after week and much of it still stays with me Um, and then after him there was a man called Terry Virgo some of you may have heard of and although I didn't have a lot of time one-to-one personally with him his teaching had a massive impact on my life and, uh, and formed the foundations of my faith and then finally there was a a lovely man called Frank Gamble, who was the pastor of our church in Harrow. Uh, he was disabled. He had ankylosing spondylitis. He died a few years later. But for the years that he was alive, he was a tremendous witness to the gospel. And he taught me personally so much. And um, it says, remember those who led you. And I do remember them. And I expect many of you here, likewise, can remember people who have taught you in the past and you're grateful to Um, consider the result of their conduct and imitate their faith it's not just about the teaching it's about their lives it's about how they lived and the the decisions they made things they did and didn't do and then we can do the same hopefully in our lives and bring others through with us and that's, that's what it means to be a disciple Jesus didn't come say go and make converts he said go and make disciples Paul did it we can do it in the last uh, verse there if we go on to the last verse it says verse 8 Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever so this is relevant to us this is not just for Paul and the first century this is, this is God's way of building church let's pray Father, thank you for the example of Paul. Thank you for this story. Thank you for the people he reached and touched. Thank you for the the lives that he changed by your grace. And thank you that you call us to the same mission, to go and make disciples. And that's that's why we're here, Lord, in this place. But we're so aware, Lord, we need your grace and your power, your leading, your Holy Spirit your word. We need all these things. We can't do it on our own and sometimes we feel completely inadequate but we know Lord that you said I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it and so we keep going. 
and gladly we keep going and looking for that day to come when all things will be brought together in glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.